This is C-SPAN's The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. For the fourth time since 2001, C-SPAN is out with its historian survey of presidential leadership, completed when there is a presidential transition in the White House. The results from a cross-section of leading historians, authors, educators, and presidential observers, experts in their field who can assess the qualities of leadership in our commander-in-chief. The criteria, 10 individual characteristics. They are public persuasion, crisis leadership, economic management, moral authority, international relations, administrative skills, relations with Congress, vision, setting an agenda, pursuing equal justice for all, and performance within the context of the times. The top nine presidents stay essentially where they were when the last survey was conducted four years ago in 2017. Topping the list, President Abraham Lincoln, followed by George Washington, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower, Harry Truman, John F. Kennedy, and Ronald Reagan. Moving up to the 10th spot is Barack Obama. And near the bottom, former President Donald Trump at number 41 out of 44 U.S. presidents. CNN, with sounds from Universal Newsreel and the C-SPAN Video Library, put together this two-minute compilation on the swearing-in process. No, this is not Carnival Day in Pumpkin Center. It is the day of days in Washington, D.C. The presidential, presidential oath of office. Here comes the inaugural parade. Are you prepared to take the oath of office as president of the United States? I am, sir. Left hand on the Bible and raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. If you will raise your right hand and repeat after me. Repeat after me. I, William Jefferson Clinton, do solemnly swear. I, Jimmy Carter. I, Barack Hussein Obama. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly, solemnly swear. swear. I will faithfully execute the office. I will faithfully execute the office. Execute the office of president to the United States faithfully. Faithfully, the president office of president of the, the United of States. The United States faithfully. Will to the best of my ability. Best of my ability. Eisenhower began his second term as leader, not only of America but all free people. Preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Constitution of the United States. Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson and the grief-stricken widow with them takes the presidential oath aboard the jet, which brings him, together with the body of the late president, back to Washington. The flag flies at half-staff. President Truman asks the full Roosevelt cabinet to remain in office. So help you God. So help me 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 God. So help you God. So help me God. So help me God. The entire country behind you, filled with hope and patriotism. Just ahead, we talked to two participants of the C-SPAN survey. Professor Elizabeth Cobbs, she is from Texas A&M University, as well as author and Lincoln historian Harold Holzer. But we begin with C-SPAN's Rachel Katz. She took a leading role in putting this survey together and joined us here in our C-SPAN radio studios. I began by asking her about the process involved. So the survey actually came out of a series that we did in 1999 called The American Presidents, where we spent a year going in-depth into the lives and administrations of all the presidents. And we had such high interest in the series that we decided to provide a capper 
by conducting a historian survey of presidential leadership. And we had a survey advisory group together and we came up with 10 leadership characteristics. And we reached out to historians and professional observers of the presidency around the country and asked them to rate all of the former presidents in each of those 10 leadership characteristics using a one to 10 scale. And then we had the um, we had the leaders of each of the leadership characteristics plus an overall ranking of all of the presidents. And so looking at this survey after the departure of Bill Clinton and then George W. Bush and then Barack Obama and now Donald Trump, one of the questions often asked, is it too soon to judge these recent presidents? Well, we understand that it does take some time after an administration to really have a full picture of of how that administration did. But we like to do the survey soon after it ends to provide a benchmark. So then we can see we did the first one 21 years ago and we can see how the impression of Clinton's administration has changed. The same with Bush and Obama. And as we continue to do these surveys, we will be able to see the, the change. So we do like doing the survey soon after the administration ends. The number of participants of historians and presidential observers, those who study the American presidency, it's really changed or evolved over the years. Can you explain? Yeah, each time we have tried to increase the number in terms of just the overall number of participants and to get a variety of different viewpoints. So we are always looking into the C-SPAN databases of people who've been on our programming, research in the field, getting suggestions from our survey advisors, and always trying to increase the number of people participating. Each year it has gone up, and this year we had over a 50% increase from last time with 142 participants. And Rachel Katz, for you personally, what were your responsibilities? So this year I was the survey coordinator. I helped last time as well in 2017. So when this one came up again, um, I was tasked with leading it, putting together the list of um, doing the research for all of the historians to participate, coordinating with our survey advisors, sending out the surveys, um, working with Rob Kennedy to get all the surveys in. He was the tabulator of all of them. And then doing all of the coordination for for the media and everything that follows. There are, according to the survey, 10 individual leadership characteristics. And as you look at them, a pretty broad list. So how do historians view that? So the list of 10 leadership characteristics hasn't changed since our first survey in 2000. And we purposely don't give definitions to them. We left them pretty broad on purpose so that the historians are able to interpret for themselves how they would see each of those different categories. So each person, each historian or professional observer may may define it a little bit differently when they're giving their scores. All they give us is a number. They're not giving any explanation. They're not ranking it based on just how they like that person. They're giving a, a ranking based on that specific leadership characteristic. So to be clear, you know who is participating, obviously, but you don't know how they're voting. We don't. We we do keep a list of the people who participate, the historians who participate and send back their survey. But once we receive the survey, we separate their name from the survey. So it is completely anonymous. Um, there's no way to tie the historian to how they ranked a certain president. One of the historians that you included in this survey, and we'll have our conversation with her in just a moment, is Elizabeth Cobbs. She teaches at Texas A&M University, and she said she was really excited to do this. We actually had a lot of great responses from the historians that were excited to participate. We had 91 last time, and 69 of those 91 were our repeat again this year. So we had a lot of people who were interested in continuing their participation, plus the new people that we asked were excited to be included this year. We had a lot of um, positive feedback. And for those who log on to look at this survey, 
it's interesting because there really has been an ebb and flow in terms of how some presidents have been viewed by these historians through time. Yeah, Grant had a has had a large rise since the beginning of the survey. Jackson has fallen. Um, even George W. Bush has gone up seven points since he debuted in the survey. And I think that the historians are looking at it as a window of time, you know, when depending on when they're doing it, the times are different in 2021 than they were in 2017 and 2009. So as things change, their interpretations change and how presidents are seen changes. And so that is reflected in the survey. A lot of data, a lot of numbers. How can our listeners navigate through all of it? So visitors can go to cspan.org slash president survey 2021. You'll be able to see the full ranking of all the presidents overall. You can look in each of the 10 leadership characteristics and see how the presidents fared there. You can see the 142 historians who participated. And we also have this gallery of insights, which is 34 different graphics showcasing the data, which I think are really interesting and a fun way to share those on social media. Rachel Katz, who took one of the leading roles in the C-SPAN Presidential Historians Survey and one of our great colleagues here at this network, thank you for stopping by. Thank you, Steve. You're listening to C-SPAN's The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. And there were some interesting changes in this fourth Presidential historian Survey that we conducted. That's just ahead as we continue the conversation. Professor Elizabeth Cobbs teaches American history at Texas A&M University in College Station, she is a historian, the author of eight books, including three novels, a two-volume textbook, and four nonfiction works. I began with this question. What surprised you the most in this survey? Um, well, it surprises me how much we have a bias towards recent presidents. Whenever I look at that, I always think to myself, you know, <laughs> these are historians. How come they're not looking further back? And as you look at this survey over the last 20 years, is it too soon to fully judge presidents like George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and now Donald Trump? I don't think so. No, I really don't. Because I think if you look at criteria, um, you know, you can, uh, the criteria are very helpful in terms of guiding one as to what's going to make a good president, as well as, you know, in the short term and the long run. What does make a good president? What's the criteria that you look for? I have several criteria. I mean, I look at presidents who've had to respond to major crises or opportunities, and how did they handle those. I look at presidents who had to um, engineer a transition from, say, an assassination into their presidency. I look at who advanced justice. Uh, I look at issues of corruption, which presidents fought corruption or, you know, really were corrupt. So I think that those are those are things that really count with me. And, and another really important one, I think, is presidents who uh, led us into wars we needed to get into and presidents who led us into wars we did not need to get into. So that's a, an important criterion. So to that point, give us some specific examples, most notably perhaps George W. Bush versus Franklin Roosevelt. Yes, those two are very good ones. I also think of James Madison. James Madison led us into the War of 1812, which was a almost disastrous war and, uh, and, and you know, damaged the political system, was a very damaging war. And he didn't have to do, he didn't have to go there, uh, as opposed to Lincoln, you know, who did have to go there. And so I think uh, that that's, that's a really, really important point of contrast. And when you mentioned Abraham Lincoln, James Buchanan comes at the very bottom, number 44. His successor, Abraham Lincoln, is number one. What does that tell you about history and about the presidency? 
it tells you that one of the most important things about a president is how they respond to catastrophic events. That's their job. And so someone like James Buchanan, you know, did nothing, sat on his hands and let a a great tragedy unfold, contributed to it. In the same way that Herbert Hoover could have been a great president, uh, but did not respond to the Great Depression, did not adequately address what was going on right in front of him. So same with James Buchanan. We are talking with Professor Elizabeth Cobbs. She teaches at Texas A&M University, part of the Department of History. And earlier you used two words, crisis and opportunity. When there is a crisis, in many ways, that is an opportunity to really be transformational, correct? Correct. And FDR is such a perfect example of that, and which is one why he's always number one or number two, or, or maybe sometimes number three, because here was a man who had to deal with a crisis and use it as an opportunity to restructure the country uh, in ways that people had been talking about for decades, but really needed to happen. Uh, and of course, he had he picked good people. He picked Frances Perkins, who gave us Social Security, uh, first woman Secretary of Labor, first woman in any cabinet. So here, here was a person who took a crisis uh, that was being met around the world by people like Adolf Hitler in very different ways and used it to make us a better country. Among the criteria that you and other historians and presidential experts used, looking at public persuasion of a president, how they manage the economy, and moral authority and administrative skills, this is the first time you participated in this particular survey. What were your overall observations about the criteria? I thought the criteria were good ones, although some of them I had a little problem with. In other words, something like public persuasion, uh, if you can get, if somebody's a, a demagogue, they're really good at persuading. So I think that uh, persuasion is a kind of double-edged sword. And so that was one of the ones where I, I had to think about it a couple of times before I thought, you know, does that make somebody a good president or not? Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. So um, that, uh, that was notable to me as I thought about the criteria that you were using. So how did you personally feel being one of 142 historians and professional observers participating in this survey? I found it thrilling, uh, a bit of a pain in the neck, but uh, but thrilling and, a, and quite an honor, because this is what we do. I mean, we spend our lives staring at blank walls, thinking through things that happened, you know, 200 years ago or 100 years ago, and, and really, you know, living with these people, these presidents, and, and thinking about their faults and their strengths. For example, I'm always amazed at how low Chester A. Arthur comes. It's craziness. I mean, here's a man who got through our our civil civil service reform. That's why we have a civil service system, um, which was something that President Trump tried to partially undo. So to me, there's an example of, you know, we sit with these characters for many years, and it's not often we get asked to really rank them. So thank you. Some of the presidents have moved up in this survey, Dwight Eisenhower among them, and Ulysses S. Grant. So again, going back to that earlier point in terms of how historians view a president and the gift of time to reflect on how that moment kind of plays out a half a century later. Yeah, and some of those surprise me. I don't think Dwight Eisenhower should be as high as he is. I think Truman was a better president than Eisenhower for sure. Um which gets back to questions of popularity. Is if someone's reelected, does that make them a better president or not? I always think that Ronald Reagan is overrated as well. But um, you know, I do think that you're quite correct that time gives us perspectives 
And, and that's why we use history, because it, it's so easy to be in the moment and think about whether you just liked somebody. And um, what we really have to look at is, in comparison and over time, what were their accomplishments? And, of course, President Ronald Reagan coming in number nine. In the earlier surveys, he was 10 and 11. Why do you think he's overrated? I think he's overrated because, to me, one of... Uh, I mean, he he was a person who took advantage of a good opportunity, so good on him for that with the Soviet Union. On the other hand, he led us into unnecessary wars in Central America. So that, that strikes him down in my, one of my criteria. Economically, uh, you know, he led us into debt for the first time in, you know, 100 years. So that's bad on him. Um, and the other thing, actually what troubles me most about Reagan, whom otherwise I think is very likable, and was a good persuader is that he was somebody who really took us down that dark path of saying, you know, government's the problem, except when I'm in charge of it. And I think that that's something we're still uh, grappling with. This uh, It's not good for our executive leaders to um, put down government. This is their job is to run government and help us all respect government and act in ways that will allow us to respect government. So that's something I, uh, I, I always, it always dings uh, Reagan for me. You mentioned Herbert Hoover. He, of course, was a one-term president, as was Jimmy Carter and George H.W. Bush. And, of course, the Bush Center is where you're at, at Texas A&M University and College Station. How impactful is that to serve just one term and to lose re-election in terms of how historians view your presidency? Yeah, I think that historians do tend to look at longevity as some sort of measure, which I think is probably not a good idea, um, because that goes back to the question of popularity. A popular president isn't necessarily a good president. So I think that we make a mistake when we when we do that. Um, for example, I think George H.W. Bush was a better president than Reagan. And I rank him above Reagan because here was somebody who had to exercise so much more restraint, um, had to deal with bigger problems in terms of the transition to um, you know, to a post-Cold War world. Uh, so, you know, I think that he, and as administrator, I think he was much better. So I think that we make a mistake when we just look at how long somebody was in, because there are reasons, sometimes, and, you know, good reasons as to why they were in for a short time and not, nothing to do with their competency. And clearly you have a unique perspective on the presidency of George H.W. Bush. I think so. Um, you know, it's, it is a, it's always an interesting thing when you're near someone's presidential archives. And I've been in presidential archives all across the country. But you get to know them as an individual in a different kind of way. And I remember being at, a, you know, at an event at that archive where the, form, where the president himself, former president, was there and the um, ambassador from Kuwait was there and was thanking our president, our former president, for what he had done when Kuwait was invaded by Iraq. And it's, you know, it is moving. It's, it's interesting. I don't think it affects my ranking of him, but it certainly gives me a deeper appreciation, deeper understanding. Professor, let's talk about two other presidents who rank in the top 10. John F. Kennedy, who earlier in surveys was number six. He is now ranked number eight but still very high for a president that served only two and a half years. Yeah, I think I personally think that he's ranked a little higher than he should be. I think, for example, that Lyndon Johnson was a much better president than John F. Kennedy. But that said, I think that Kennedy is one of those individuals 
who sets a kind of standard of, of somebody who conveys vision. And that's incredibly important in a country that who, whose ability to be publicly persuasive, to set an agenda, to trumpet the idea of equal justice for all, who made America look good in the whole world is very important. Uh, so I think that I understand why he has such deep appeal. And finally, moving up from number 12 to number 10 is President Barack Obama. Does that surprise you? does a little bit. Um, it does, I, let's put it this way. It does not surprise me because he's a very appealing individual. And, um, and he broke, you know, he broke the racial barrier. And, and that, takes, that takes courage. That takes savvy. Um, that takes tremendous public persuasiveness to get over a hump like that. I mean, in the same way that JFK had to overcome being Catholic. And in this case, it was even, you know, a stronger and more difficult um, higher bar to, to get over. So, you know, fantastically appealing individual. I don't think that um, he probably in the long run will necessarily rank that high. And in the sense that I don't think his foreign policy was very original. I think his relations with Congress, not his fault, but there you go. You know, <laughs> situationally, he was never able to overcome that roadblock. So I can see why he goes up. It's sort of like Kennedy, somebody who's just very appealing, who uh, has, from the point of view of public persuasiveness, is, you know, will always be ranked very, very highly. So bottom line, your overall impression of this survey and its results as somebody who participated in it, what would you say? I think it's pretty good. <laughs> I think it's, you know, I think it shows, um, you know, I think it shows maturity uh, that uh, people, for example, were able to rank, I think, Donald Trump, you know, in a reasonable way. There are probably some people would be ready to just, you know, say he was completely awful. But, um, you know, he, you know, he actually, you know, didn't do as bad as James Buchanan. And it's good for people to recognize that. Elizabeth Cobbs is a professor of the Department of History at Texas A&M University. She is joining us on the phone from College Station, Texas, one of the 142 participants in the Presidential Historian Survey, which is available on our website at cspan.org. We thank you for being with us. Thank you. This is the weekly C-SPAN's podcast. It's available wherever you get your favorite podcast. Harold Holzer is an author, an expert on President Abraham Lincoln, an American Civil War historian. He also serves as the director of Hunter College's Roosevelt House Public Policy Institute. His newest book, The Presidents Versus the Press, the endless battle between the White House and the media, from the founding fathers to fake news. He joined us from his home in Rye, New York, to give us his observations on the C-SPAN survey and its overall findings. I think what stands out uh, is something that uh, Richard Norton Smith has commented on in the official announcement, and that is the consistency of the top four, really, um, Lincoln, Washington, Roosevelt, and uh, Roosevelt, uh, cousins Franklin and Theodore, have stayed in the top quartet, and I guess I... I'm kind of pleased that Lincoln has not moved from that number one spot um, in 20 years. So that's that's my takeaway, is that our greatest presidents um, seem to remain in the eyes of um, this really diverse and interesting group of historians. He remains at the top of the list. Why is that? Without 
asking you the obvious. Why is Abraham Lincoln consistently viewed as, if not one of America's greatest president, the greatest president? Well, I think my, my, my view has always been that he not only represented the American dream, that is, the ability uh, of any American to rise from the humblest of circumstances, regardless of class, to the highest echelons of leadership, but also, number two, I sound like President Biden here, number two, he articulated the parameters of the, of the American dream with the most br- brilliant political writing that's ever been created in American history. And number three, he not only saved that promise by fighting for democracy in the American Civil War, he removed the one great hypocrisy in our um, in our founding, and that was the stain of slavery. I mean, what more can you ask for? And then number four, sacrificed his life at the very end and at the apex of his triumph. You couldn't write it any better if you were going to do a fictional account of an ideal president. As you know, uh, you were among more than 140 historians and presidential observers uh, taking part in this survey. The criteria listed overall, which, what are your thoughts? Well, I've done all four, um, the 2000, the 09, the 17, and, um, and, the, and, the, and, the tw- and the 21. What struck me in opening this, um, this year's survey, this, this, um, this time around, it's of course not every year, is that there was a question that had never appeared before, to my recollection. And that is, um, did this president do his utmost to promote the concept of equality? And that really um, caused me to think very hard about this. Um, and it, the, the question and the inevitable answer, um, which is that most presidents didn't do what we would expect them to do um, to promote perfect equality, is that this this listing may change um, really significantly in future in future decades, really, and I hope it keeps going for a long time. We we only saw it impact one president, and that's Woodrow Wilson, um, who has come under intense scrutiny in uh, in 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 the last few years, and in effect over the last um, quarter of a century has fallen seven points, really, from sixth to, I guess, unlucky 13. And in that same um, time frame, we have heard much more than ever before, not about his progressive uh, legislation, not about, um, you know, um, fighting for a League of Nations or or standing with the Allies um, in, in World War One. We've heard about his kind of incurable racism and the fact not only that he felt personally, um, in a negative way about people of color, but that he desegregated the federal bureaucracy as president. I'm sorry, resegregated, I hope I said that right, the federal bureaucracy that had been uh, more integrated under uh, Theodore Roosevelt and William Howard Taft. He demoted African Americans who had risen up in the civil service chain. So that is that has really affected him. And I guess it's affected Thomas Jefferson a little bit um, in the in the public mind, but he has stayed a steady seven in the rankings over 20 years, and he's come under a great deal of scrutiny and criticism 
not only for being a slaveholder, but for hypocrisy in in promoting the inferiority of African Americans while having children with an enslaved woman. And so it goes. And I, I think there will be there will be people out there, observers and historians, who'll be kind of surprised that it has not affected Washington or Jefferson more, or or Monroe or Madison for that matter. Harold Holzer, let me ask you about presidential scandals. Two presidents, Donald Trump and Bill Clinton, both impeached. One president, Richard Nixon, forced to resign before he was almost certainly going to be impeached. How do historians view those moments? Well, I I think um, they view them as the ultimate um, condemnation. Uh, no president has ever been convicted, so the the stain of a House impeachment has um, um, has has been dispositive in terms of reputation. You can see that among modern or current presidents, really, you know, to my mind, modern, because I was born when Harry Truman was president, I'm mortified to report. Um, the most modern presidents rank pretty high. It's, it's Eisenhower and Truman and Kennedy and Reagan and Obama are all in the top ten in in the rankings of American presidents. Only Nixon um, uh, and and um, now Donald Trump have fallen uh, to or near the bottom of the of the list of forty plus presidents. And I think and and of course Andrew Johnson as well, who's at the, almost at the uh, at the very bottom. He's second to last. And I think that's because of um, that's because of the the congressional actions that were judgmental, you know, that were judgment. I would say the judgment day for each. And of course, Trump being impeached twice cannot help his reputation either. The oldest living president, of course, is former President Jimmy Carter, our 39th president, and he continues to hover in the low to mid-20s. Why is that? Well, I don't think there's been very much um, sympathetic biography of Jimmy Carter. Now, that has dramatically changed. I think we've sort of gotten away, or at least um, assuaged ourselves that we're being nice, by saying he's been a great ex-president. And obviously he's done some wonderful work um, as an ex-president in terms of being an international adjudicator of fair elections and and in, in all his charitable causes. But now we have two big biographies of Carter, one by Jonathan Alter and one coming out in a few weeks by Kai Bird, both of which are compelling a reassessment of, of his international achievements particularly. Um, in forging the Camp David Accords, and also some domestic achievements that we've tended to ignore. I I'm look and, and and I think if we continue to focus on the the fight for equality as a major factor in these in these surveys, that jurors, historian jurors, will be compelled to look at. Um, Card, the progress Carter made in some of those fronts. So to that point, David McCullough, who came out with a book on Harry Truman, really had a significant impact in how historians viewed his presidency, correct? Oh, I thought you were going to say that my Lincoln books have kept him at number one, but that's okay. <laughs> I would say there are two um, two moments in this survey, two two segments, two slots in this survey that you can say have been hugely impacted by the work of historians. And I think that McCullough helped spur the uh, the Truman revival 
um, tremendously, although he was always pretty popular as an individual, even though he left with what may be the lowest uh, popularity rating of any of any American president, except maybe for Trump. He, Bush, and Trump, or, and, and Nixon were at the lowest. But I think you've got to take, tip your hat to Ron Chernow, um, because uh, Ulysses S. Grant has had the most dramatic rise over the last few years, um, and he's now in the top 20, where he started in the 30s, in 2000. And I think a lot of that is, well, two Rons, Ron Chernow and Ron White have both been fighting for the argument that Grant was a hugely successful one-term president and maybe a not-so-successful second-term president. By the way, and I know you're recording this, I would predict that that's going to change and that Grant has reached his peak because I think we've tended to ignore that second-term indifference to scandal that does mark the later second terms of many American presidents. You mentioned Abraham Lincoln, and you are among those who have written books about Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president. More about him than any other U.S. president? Is that correct? Yes, more than any American who has ever lived. Um, And I do want to point out that if you look at the list, Franklin and Theodore Roosevelt, Lincoln admires. Eisenhower and Truman, Lincoln admire. Um, Barack Obama. Lincoln admirer, um, McKinley, Wilson in his way, the first Democrat to embrace Lincoln and Lincoln's memory in such a way that Republican newspapers attacked him for trying to usurp him. And on and on, I'm just looking down the list. Clinton, a Lincoln admirer, George W. Bush, uh, a Lincoln admirer. Um, I think it's, it's great that the most admired president by fellow presidents is still number one because it means they're at least aspiring to be emulative of someone who deserves great honor and uh, and demonstrated such integrity and success. And, of course, one of the headlines from this survey is you look at uh, the top 44. Coming in at the bottom is James Buchanan, followed by Andrew Johnson, Franklin Pierce, and then Donald J. Trump. Um, I, I, I find it fascinating that the lowest-ranked presidents are the ones who immediately preceded and succeeded Abraham Lincoln. I'm just wondering if there's a sub-story here. Did the ineptitude and intractable racism of Andrew Johnson and the, you know, the incompetence of James Buchanan make Lincoln look even better? Um, just something to think about. And you can add Mr. Pierce to that, too. Lincoln had no love for him and thought he was part of a national conspiracy to sink slavery. For what I've read about, about Trump um, and, his, and his ranking, he seems to have been saved by two specific questions in the survey. That is spared from the basement. And one is communications ability. Um, I, I wrote in my most recent book that the presidents who have been most successful in their relations with the press and the public through communications are those who are innovative in terms of communications um, technology. Kennedy with televised news conferences, Franklin Roosevelt with the radio, um, Barack Obama with with the White House website. But whatever anyone thinks of uh, Donald Trump, he was enormously successful 
um, on social media. And um, I think that has, um, you know, the, and I, um, historians don't discuss the survey before they do it, but they do discuss it among themselves after they do the survey. And um, I would say that many of us, um, or those of us who spoke, chatted about the fact that they played this straight. Um, Donald Trump was a revolutionary and extremely impactful communicator, even if many of his communications weren't exactly truthful. So you think his numbers could change in subsequent surveys? I do. I, I don't think they could get better. Um, the other thing that that kept his ratings from sinking, you know, uh, out of uh, out of sight, are it was uh, um, kind of a frank assessment of the the economy in the first two or three years um, of his presidency. One could argue that it was an economy that did not benefit everybody, um, a revival that did not benefit everybody. But he got credit for it from a lot of the assessments that I've seen. And yeah, I. I I think I think things will change on two counts. I think some current presidents may lose favor, um, but I also think that um, that there there's there's bound to be a, a reexamination of the early presidents, um, and and um, one could say that their lack of commitment to equality is going to hurt them, unless we continue to look at them in the context of the culture of their times. Franklin Roosevelt, who um, in whose home I work in New York City, um, looking forward to opening it again with the fall semester in uh, in August. Um, Franklin Roosevelt stayed at number three, but when I got to the question on equality, um, did he pursue full equality? I had to pause and think very hard and be very frank about Franklin, and that is. Um, he bowed to the Dixiecrats and did not include domestic workers or tenant farmers in the new program they call Social Security. Um, and one can argue that that has kept black poverty rates at a much higher level than white poverty rates for the last 80 years. Um, it's a question that we, we're going to keep exploring, I think. And um, did he achieve great things for for um, in terms of the national recovery from the depression, yes, did he bring everyone along? Um, did he did he appoint enough African Americans to federal positions? Something worth examining. Let me conclude with this question because, as you know, somebody who has participated in four of these C-SPAN presidential historian surveys, times change, and over yep. time, perspectives change. Absolutely. That's why it's so surprising. Um, with the influx of um, of new and younger historians, not just you know veterans like me, is that the the top ten has not changed all that much. Um, uh, there's a remarkable consistency to our definition of presidential greatness. It's uh, for Washington. I think uh, it's establishing the presidency uh, instead of a kingdom. Um, for for Lincoln, it's saving the Union. For Roosevelt, it's confronting two existential crises: ec- economic collapse and, and the rise of fascism. Um, and th- th- that has been enough to keep them at the top of the heap. Um, for all the flaws, for all of the uh, removal of 
statues and sculptures and the reconsideration of memory and reputation. I think, I'd like to think that the historians show an amazing good sense, professionalism and perspective in making their judgments this time around. Harold Holzer, not only an author, but also an expert on a number of presidents, including Abraham Lincoln and Franklin D. Roosevelt, one of 142 historians and professional observers, part of the C-SPAN Presidential Historian Survey for 2021. Joining us from Rye, New York, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Steve. Always great. For the full rankings on all 44 U.S. presidents, as well as a gallery of insights and social media graphics that you can share, be sure to go to cspan.org slash president survey 2021. And finally, a note about this program. This will be the final episode of the weekly for now. Be sure to check out all of C-SPAN's podcasts available on the web. You can also listen and follow wherever you get your favorite podcast and follow us on Twitter at C-SPAN radio. I'm Steve Scully. Thank you for listening.